0: Let us begin with prayer. O oh God and our Father, please give us understanding of your word. By the work of your Spirit, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and nearest kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. When you come to the first of the year, just in the preceding days and then the days following, you see all kinds of things about predictions. If you just grab Google and put predictions for 2022 that came true, you see a whole host of things. And then at the same time, there'll be all kinds of things about predictions about 2023. Everybody wants to know what the future holds. Everyone is looking for answers to uh, the future. And they're looking to see who had a great track record last year. Everyone is searching about. Again, we live in a world where people want good predictions. The book of Matthew, in particular, focuses in on the predictions of God's Word. The prophecies that were made according uh, to the Spirit, through the prophets. And we see that in the book of Matthew, the word fulfilled, in reference to Uh, Jesus' fulfilling things happens 15 times. As a matter of fact, if we look to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, we see this right in the beginning, beginning with verse 1, Paul says this, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Everywhere that Jesus goes, even in utero, everywhere he lives is planned centuries before. Nothing is accidental. Jesus' coming was purposed by God before the Garden. His plan was laid out for us there in Genesis. His descending from Abraham and David. And to quote one commentator, we see that Jesus is the incarnate word in John chapter 1, that Jesus actually lives out the written word. As we look at God's word today, I want us to look for the themes that are in the passage. I think there are three th- three themes. One, that Jesus is the king of kings. Two, that God keeps his promises. And number three, that Jesus is consecrated. And as his disciples, so are we. So as we consider this, I want us to look at our, our if you're taking notes and you see our first point is the magi, I'm going to amend that just a little bit and say that the gauntlet is thrown down. Let us read Matthew chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born, king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. My people Israel. And of course, if you've been around the last few weeks, you've heard this quote from Micah chapter 5 read again and again. Now this is interesting because Herod is not deceived. He knows the political implications of Jesus' birth. The Magi knew they were looking for the King of Kings. These wise men from the East will fall before Jesus and worship Him. They will provide kingly tribute to Jesus in their gifts. And in his rebellion, Herod becomes the fulfillment of Psalm chapter 2. Consider Psalm chapter 2 beginning in verse 2. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. We see this beginning in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 2. Again, hear God's word. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him always. Right here, Herod conspires to break the restraints of God that have been placed upon him by Jesus' coming. When Herod calls the chief priests and the scribes, he inquires as to the birthplace of Christ, of the Christ, which, by the way, means the anointed one. Herod understands what is happening. Although he believes in the possibility of the anointed one, the deliverer of God's people, that he would come, He doesn't yet realize that he is unable to resist against God. Herod is all about protecting his own glory, especially his great work, his great architectural achievement, the temple that he is building. Again, if we look at Psalm chapter 2, thinking about Herod um, and going against the anointed one, look at Psalm 2, verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall hold them in derision then he will shall speak to them in his wrath and in his distress and distress them in his deep displeasure and this is god speaking yet i have set my king on my holy hill of zion i will declare the decree yahweh has said to me you are my son today i have begotten you jesus came by the decree of the father Now, it's very interesting when you consider the fact, these parallels here. Again, Herod is is just living out Psalm 2. He's conspiring against God and Christ's coming. We see in in verse 9 of chapter 2 of Matthew, it says, going on with the narrative, When they heard the king, this is the wise men, they departed, and behold, and remember, when you see this behold, it's, hey, pay attention, look now, what's going on? The star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with an exceedingly great joy. And when they had come to the house, they saw that the young child with Mary and his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country in another way. Now, there's a lot of thoughts and theories as to what this star was. Why did it show up two years before? Why did they see it? There could be everything from certain constellations moving about that... that astrologers could have looked at and said, oh, this means this country, this means that, this is about a king. That's certainly true, and they begin their journey in that. But of course, here it says that when they left Jerusalem, of course, you know they, they went and they traveled, they came to Jerusalem, the place of the king, of the Jews, and when they get there, they're thinking that the king is going to be there. But it says that when when they left and they were on their way to Bethlehem, that this star, this light, went before them and then stood over Jesus. In the Old Testament, we see that there is light, the Shekinah glory that guides the Israelites in the desert. This Shekinah glory went before and then stood over Israel, and tabernacle, and even the mountain of the Lord. We see this in passages like Exodus, chapter 13, verse 21. We see that it leads them. We see in Exodus 33 that it descended and stood over the entrance of the temple. We see in Numbers, chapter 5, that the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory, stood over the entrance of the tent. We see that in Deuteronomy 31, that the pillar of the cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. And again, in Ezekiel, when it's being prophesied about the new temple, that the glory of the Lord went and stood over the mountain. Now this is, this is very important because this has always been the question. How did the star move? How did it get there? Well, it would seem that Jesus, that we know from John 1, is bringing the light. He's the light of the world. And this light, this glory of God, is going before them and standing over the sun. We see that Jesus becomes, in this way, the new place of worship. We see the fullness of God dwell in Jesus, who is both fully man and fully God. If we look at Colossians chapter 1, Verse 19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Jesus is the true Israel. As we go through the book of Matthew during these these next months, that's going to be our theme. We're going to be looking through the book of Matthew. As we do this, we're going to see that Jesus is the true Israel. His life will reflect the journey of Israel. But Jesus lives as the true and faithful Israel. So as we continue in the narrative, we look back at Matthew chapter 2, beginning verse 13, we see this. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose... He took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And there he and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now that is Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. There's a couple of things going on here, but it's interesting when you look at the book of Hosea like many of the prophets, it is about God's loving kindness. His faithfulness and his generosity, those are all God's actions towards his people. And about Israel's, again, you then see in the prophets, God is faithful, he is loving, he is filled with kindness, he gives graciously to Israel. And Israel constantly refuses to walk according to God's covenant. We see in Hosea... That because of all of the idolatry in Israel, God brings judgment. God's faithfulness is so great that God's promise is not to leave Israel in the grave of exile forever. What's happening in Hosea is God is making a judgment. He's bringing judgment to the people of Israel. But because of his faithfulness, he's not going to leave them in, in the proverbial grave of being exiled and death outside of the land of promise. And in this way, God says he will call his son out of exile from Egypt because there are some of those people that fled the judgment and went to Egypt. Obviously, we know of the greater exile to Babylon, but there were those who fled to Egypt. And we see that salvation will come when the Father calls his son out of Israel. Now, this is important. This is where the parallels, of course, what happened in Egypt when Israel left Egypt? It was night, just like when Jesus fled. And they fled the oppressor. Here, Jesus is fleeing the oppressor out of Israel and going to Egypt in the night. Now, now here's, here's what I want you to see. Israel, because of its idolatry, has become Egypt. It has become an unbelieving nation that simply desires to oppress God's people and his truth and is corrupting worship. And, of course, as we go through the book of Matthew, we'll see Jesus confronting this corruption within Israel and a calling to worshiping God rightly. Again, salvation comes when God the Father calls his Son out of Israel. We see in the next part, there in, in chapter 2, verse 16, we say, it says this, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, he was exceedingly angry. Now, I want to point this out. If you go back to the beginning of the, the Herod narrative, it says that, that Herod was under distress, and it says all of Jerusalem with him. Now, you can look at it a couple of different ways in terms of this distress. I'm certain that those who were all about themselves and retaining their power were, like Herod, distressed because, man, Jesus is finally coming. The Christ, the anointed one, is coming or has come. But it could also be that those that are living rightly recognize that Herod might get out of hand and do some terrible things in order to preserve himself. So I think there's both of those things going on here. And Herod, of course, he becomes angry. And it says that he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Now, about the size of of Bethlehem at the time, this probably would have been maybe at most two dozen children. I'm not minimizing it if he killed one. That's too many, right? But he's so angry, he's looking for one child and he doesn't care that he kills two dozen in order to try to kill that one. And again, it says this in terms of fulfilling God's prophecies. It says, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. And that's Jeremiah 31, 15. There's several things that we need to recognize here. Number one, even if this tragic event is part of God's predestined plan. Herod attempts to break the restraints of God by murdering all the boys under two. What Herod should have done as a Gentile is join the Gentile magi in their worship of Jesus. Herod was given the opportunity to respond to the end of Psalm chapter 2. Hear the very end of Psalm chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. Now therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth, serve Yahweh with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and in that you will perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little... Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Herod did not want to put his trust in the anointed one. Instead of kissing the son, Herod fulfills the prophecy in Jeremiah 31.15. Now this verse in Jeremiah 31 is the saddest verse in that passage. Jeremiah 31 is all about the promise of salvation from exile. And Rachel is weeping in in Jeremiah 31 because her children are dying by being taken into exile. And so she weeps. But there is hope. If you look at Jeremiah 31, 17, it says, There is hope in your future, says Yahweh, that your children shall come back to their own border. There is life and salvation that comes from chastisement. But Herod, instead, he's going to resist. He's going to murder these children. And Jesus is going to be drawn out and bring life out of Egypt. If we continue on, we see a third place where prophecy is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 19. It says this Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother. And go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose and took the young child with his mother and came to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Now those first two quotes, you see he quoted the exact passage. Here he doesn't say where it is. It isn't a direct quote. He just says the prophets. And so we have to work with this a little bit. We have to look for uh, correlations, other places that give us insight. So here are a couple of themes that we see uh, in the Law and the Prophets towards this. Number one, we see in Numbers chapter 6 and verse 2. It says this, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take a vow of a Nazarite to separate himself, and then it goes on, to become a holy warrior for a particular task. Now we can see that being called a Nazarene and being a Nazarite is very close, and the themes of Jesus coming as a holy warrior for a particular task to deliver his people are there. We also see that the Hebrew word for branch is natz. That's what appears to us in English as N-A-T-Z-E or, or R. Excuse me, I forgot the R in the end. In Isaiah 4.2 it says this, In the day the branch of Yahweh shall be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. We see in Jeremiah 23.5, Behold, the days are coming says Yahweh, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. We see in Zechariah 6.12, Then speaking to him, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch from this place, he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of Yahweh. So if we take this theme that Jesus is the new place to worship and we see that he is the branch and he shall branch out and he will build the temple of Yahweh and we know that in in Peter that it tells us that we are the temple. We are the living stones built on Jesus, the chief cornerstone. Matthew is teaching us both about Jesus and ourselves. We are Jesus' body. We share in Jesus' humility growing as branches from the branch who grew out of a stump of Jesse. And he is growing to become the dominant tree of the forest. Jesus is, in fact, a holy warrior consecrated for God's war to reach the nations. This brings us to our final point. Because we are in Christ and he is consecrated, we too are consecrated to this calling to bring the nations to the Lord. Being disciples of the Nazarene, we are all Nazarenes. We are all holy warriors consecrated for battle. That's a quote from a commentary by Peter Lightheart. So again, let me say that to you. We are all disciples of the Nazarene. And being a Nazarene, we are all holy warriors consecrated for battle. Now, here's what I want us to see when we look at the fulfillment of these promises to Jesus. There are also promises that God has made you and I as his people. Think of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoptions as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, to which he made us accepted in the beloved. God made a plan for Christ. He laid it out. He has predestined us as well, and we are in Christ, and therefore we are also sons of God called and consecrated to this work. And if we look at the end of Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 22 and 23, remember what God says here. He says, and he, that is God, put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the authority that is given to Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords and all the, everything in heaven and in earth, all that authority has been given to him is also, through Jesus Christ, been given to us, the church. Sometimes we go through this situation and we say, oh, I'm not living up to this. Well, that's why we repent of our sins, both here corporately and individually. But we need to understand this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Hear this promise. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is faithful to keep his promises to us as the church. We can also be encouraged by Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead That great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you. What is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen, it says in Hebrews. As we begin this new year, let us remember and thus live in this knowledge that Jesus is the King of Kings that God keeps his promises and that Jesus is consecrated as a holy warrior and as his disciples, so are we. Let us pray. Almighty God, who has given us your only begotten son to take our nature upon himself at the start of this new year, grant that we, being regenerate and made your children by adoption and grace, be daily renewed by your Holy Spirit. Through the same, our Lord Jesus, who lives and reigns with you, and the same Spirit, ever God, world without end. Amen.